today's reading is Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks so much, Jen. Well, it's been wonderful to spend the last month or so in the Psalms on Sundays, hasn't it? Um, and it's been lovely to hear from each of our elders each week as well. And we've gotten insights into their dubious musical tastes and viewing habits at times. And I know after last week not to play football with Chris on the field afterwards. Um, They've done, a, a just a, it's, yeah, it's been so great to be in the Psalms. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is, is how they shape our understanding and our experience of God. There's a danger sometimes that we just come with our own ideas and priorities. And this is how we think God should be. But the Psalms don't let us do that. They beautifully, they passionately set forth the truth about who God is and what it means to to love him and to follow him and, and to live for him. And we've had, as elders, free reign to pick our own psalms. Um, Martin said a few weeks back that um, Psalm 63 was the best. Um, it is great. <laughs> I'll give you that. But this psalm takes some beating, doesn't it? Um, psalm 23. What? I, I was amazed that we've been doing this the last couple of summers and nobody's picked it yet as well. Um, so let's um, pray and ask for God's help as we look at this great um, psalm together, such a well-known psalm. So let's pray and ask for his help as we look at it. Heavenly Father, I think of the Lord Jesus looking out on the crowd, seeing that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and as we look at our world that's what we see as we look at our own lives our own hearts that's what we see uh, all too often so we we pray this morning you would speak to us of of your care and your love and your compassion for us we pray this morning you would show us that you are a good shepherd and that we need to follow you and, and live for you. Would you grant us the faith to see that? Would you open our eyes to see the glories of our Lord Jesus? Lord, these are such familiar words, and, and we, we, we pray that you would help us to, 
to ponder on them this morning and uh, help us to see wonderful truths. And we need your spirit to help us do that. So please, Lord, would you use this time for your good eternal purposes? Amen. Well, I've been reading a book uh, by a shepherd, uh, a guy called Philip Keller, who was, amongst other things, a shepherd in East Africa. And he wrote a book on this psalm from his perspective as a shepherd. And I want to read an, an extract from it as we start, uh, which uh, just kind of helps us as we get into this psalm and as we get into the idea of shepherding and being sheep and all of those things. Here's what uh, Philip Keller says. When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, shade, safety or shelter from the storms? What if they did want relief from wounds, bruises, diseases and parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep fit for the slaughterhouse. It's quite a contrast, isn't it, to, to what we read in this famous psalm. His verdict on that shepherd? He simply didn't care. And his comment at the start is, is really insightful, isn't it? The welfare of the flock is dependent on the care of the shepherd. And that's true, isn't it? And sheep, as we all know, are, are not renowned for their cunning and ingenuity. You never see any wild sheep, as Carl remembered us a long time ago now, preaching through, through John 10. Sheep are helpless creatures, really, aren't they? They're stupid frankly and they have an incredible ability to get lost or get stuck or, or just get in danger it's not particularly flattering but that is the consistent image the bible uses to describe us as human beings sheep we're sheep and this morning what I want to, to do what all I want to do is, is, is set out for you the Lord's care for you and to show you that nothing or no one compares 
to his care for you. Our, our shepherd is good. That's what I want us to see this morning in a nutshell. And this psalm, Psalm 23, is a psalm of confidence. We don't know exactly when it was written. We know it was written by David. We don't know what occasion led to him writing these words. He's not asking God to do something for him. He's simply rejoicing in who the Lord is and, and what the Lord has, has done and continues to do for him. Maybe this morning um, you're here and perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a, a Christian just yet. And the idea of being called a sheep is not that great. Uh, well, if that's you this morning, um, if you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, firstly, thank you for coming. Um, it's great that you're here. And, and I hope that as we go through this, you'll get a sense of what God is really like. And what it means to, to live in relationship with him. Because the God that um, Richard Dawkins doesn't believe in, I don't believe in either. The, the construct that he has in his head about who God is and what he's like is nothing like the reality that we see in the pages of scripture. And particularly in this great psalm, Psalm 23. So I want all of us this morning to to ask ourselves, is this a shepherd worth following? Is the Lord uh, a shepherd worth trusting and investing our lives in? Well, let's um, start at the very beginning. That's a good place to start. <laughs> and if ever a, a, a first line summed up a whole psalm, it's this, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. It's a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful affirmation. And such familiar words. Perhaps one of the, the most famous chapter in the Bible. They just um, trip off the tongue, don't they? But there's a danger with such familiar words that we can miss how extraordinary this starting phrase really is. David begins with the Lord. Yahweh. David knew his, his Old Testament. He knew the book of Genesis. He knows Yahweh as creator. He knows of Yahweh, the Lord's promises, his covenants with his people and his faithfulness in keeping his promises. He's the recipient of, of one of those covenants. David begins with Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant faithful God, the creator, sustainer, almighty God who revealed himself to Moses. In the last couple of weeks, um, I had a chance to reflect on the bigness of God as I looked up at the stars at night from a hot tub in Wales. <laughs> Staring up at the just incredible canvas of, of stars my mind went to, to Genesis 1 and verse 16 um, there's there's almost a, a throwaway line in, 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 in that great account of God's creation he also made the stars the writer says isn't that incredible he, he also made the stars how many as I was lying in that hot tub how many stars are there I was thinking I asked Google, and it turns out Google doesn't really know either. 
just in our Milky Way galaxy, there's, there's 100 billion, is the estimate. And uh, in 2016, they're estimated that there were 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. 2 million million galaxies. So if each one of those galaxies has an average 100 billion stars in it, what's Anyone do the math? It's, it's a lot of stars. The dimensions of our universe are so vast, it is mind-boggling. There is a wonder and a majesty about our world. How much more for the one who brought it all into being just by speaking? He also made the stars. There's no one or, or, or nothing that even remotely compares to the Lord. He's the Lord. But there's a, there's a stag, the staggering word in this first line is the tiny word, my. The Lord, who we've just been thinking about, is my shepherd. Isn't that extraordinary? My shepherd, not Israel's shepherd, not a shepherd, my shepherd, mine. So far in the book of Psalms, we've had images of the Lord as a rock, steady, unchanging, as a redeemer, as, as a rescuer. And wonderful as those images are, there's a distance there. But here, the Lord is my shepherd, David says. There's this wonderful, intimate, personal connection. The Lord is my shepherd. And David knew what being a shepherd was all about. He, he lived that role, as we saw going through 1 Samuel earlier this year. And it's fascinating that that's what he reaches for in trying to describe who the Lord is and what he does. Shepherd. Is, is what he goes for. And this is the starting point for, for all that follows out of this, in, in, in this psalm, in the rejoicing and the confidence of this great psalm, the starting point, the blessings that flow out from this truth that the Lord, the covenant faithful creator God is my shepherd. So that's the starting point for us this morning. But we also come to this psalm, remembering Jesus' words in John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. As opposed to the hired hand who doesn't really care for the sheep and runs away. Jesus is the good shepherd. And so as we read this psalm, it's a psalm of David, of, of King David. It's a psalm that Jesus lived too. And we'll pick that, that up as we go through. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he's the one who we turn to as our shepherd through this psalm too. So as we go through, I'm going to um, pick out three main things. Three main blessings from this, this great psalm that David picks out, um, all beginning with C, conveniently enough. Um, contentment, 
comfort and confidence. So first of all, contentment. Have a look with me at verses one to three. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And what we see in the, in the kind of structure, the way that the verses are put together, is we see an, an outcome from a truth followed by a description of what the shepherd, of what the Lord does. So in these first few verses, because the Lord is my shepherd, the outcome is I lack nothing. And then notice how active the Lord, the good shepherd, is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He refreshes my soul. Can also be translated as as saves my life. It's all about him, him, him. What, what he does for his helpless sheep, sheep as we said are, are helpless, just recipients of the shepherd's care. And we can see how that works at the level of the sheep. It's it's the shepherd who leads them to green pastures to to find food and to find rest. It's the shepherd who, who saves those who get stuck or get lost. It's a, it's a picture of the tender care of our shepherd, of provision, of protection, of peace and contentment that the shepherd alone brings. And at a deeper level, this is true of our Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, who, unlike the hired hand, who does not care for, uh, for the sheep, Jesus, our, our good shepherd, lays down his life. So this morning, because Jesus is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, we live in a world that is desperately seeking contentment. Think of those uh, verses in, in Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We see that in our world today. We see that in, in our own lives. A, a world that is desperately seeking contentment. In material stuff, in, in success, in, in career, in relationships, in Freedom to be my authentic self sexually. But the truth is, none of those things deliver on what they promise. And the Bible tells us that, that if, if those things have become ultimate things in our lives, if those things have been, become the things in which we derive our purpose and our meaning and our satisfaction and our contentment, they'll leave us alive. There's no forgiveness from the God of success. When our relationship or our lack of relationship isn't giving us what we want or what we need, bitterness can just flood in and wreak havoc. As human beings, we're created to be in relationship with God. Our identity at its profoundest level is defined by our relationship with him, not by our sexual preference or our gender or, or, or anything else. Contentment comes because the Lord 
is my shepherd. Only then. True contentment is, is founded upon him, on who he is and on what he's done, on, on his care for us. And the reality is there is no greater contentment than knowing you are loved completely and utterly. David could look to God's promises and look to, to how God had rescued him in the past. And, and David could look back and see that his, his, his care for him. How much more we, how much greater we can, can look to the once and for all time ultimate demonstration of God's love and his care for us as Jesus died on the cross in our place. If we ever doubt God's care and his love for us, we just need to look to the cross and see it there writ large, once and for all. So do you know that contentment? Have you experienced that contentment? Christianity, uh, the kind of biblical faith it, it's not just something we understand at an intellectual level the devil knows all about these things the, the truth of these things um, this is something for us not to just know intellectually this is something for us to experience um, to enter into, to enjoy to know so do you know that contentment have you experienced it? Perhaps one of the things we need to do is to search our hearts and to ask ourselves, am I looking for contentment in the wrong place? Am I working too hard? If I am, why am I working too hard? What's driving me to, to work so hard? Why am I so desperate for a promotion? What's driving me to want that promotion, that success? Is the swimming pool in my back garden really too small? <laughs> Searching questions to, to, uh, to ask ourselves, isn't that? Are we looking for contentment in the wrong place? Not that swimming pools and working hard and getting promotions are wrong in and of themselves, but if they become the thing that we look to to give us the contentment that we're desperately looking for, that's when they become a problem. But don't get me wrong, we're not called to some joyless, monastic life of denial and misery. On the contrary, this, this psalm is, is overflowing with abundance, isn't it? Because the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. Let's meditate, chew on that great truth. Um, uh, today, this week, um, let's let's really chew on that on that great truth. So, from contentment, then David moves to comfort. Comfort. Now, verses three and four. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod 
and your staff, they comfort me. So David moves on to the picture of the shepherd as, as he leads and guides along the right paths. And notice how the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, as it's sometimes translated, that path is, is not separated out from, from the right path that the shepherd is, is guiding his, his sheep through. That path is not outside of his care. He leads, he guides, and he cares, even on that dark path, in those dark times. The rod and the staff are what the shepherd would use to fight off predators and enemies, and to keep the sheep going in the right direction. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, those words have provided comfort and hope to Christians for centuries. And for many of us, this past year at times has been like walking through that dark valley. For some of us, it's been incredibly dark. Maybe we've been walking that path ourselves. Maybe we've been walking it alongside other people that, that we care about. But it's possible for us to, to walk with someone through most paths of this life but there is one path we cannot walk through with someone else there is only one shepherd who can go with you into death even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death you are with me there is only one shepherd who can who can walk that final path with you and if you don't know him before you go, you go through alone. That's a sobering thought. But see also the, the comfort that's here for David, who does know the shepherd, who does know the Lord is, is his shepherd. The outcome of the Lord being his shepherd is that he fears no evil and he knows the comfort of the Lord. And for us, living this side of the cross, our hope is even more certain and concrete than David's. Our Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, has been through the valley of the shadow of death for us and come out the other side. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep, died on the cross at Calvary in our place for our sin and rose again. Conquering death, conquering sin. So if we're trusting him, if we're walking with him, he alone is the one who can take us through the valley of the shadow of death. Our comfort, our hope, even in death, comes because the Lord is my shepherd. Finally, in the last uh, couple of verses, we see something of David's confidence, his confidence. Verse five and six, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, the tone has changed and the, and the picture has changed to a scene of victory and abundance and, and blessings. Culturally, back then, to, to eat and drink at somebody's table created a bond of loyalty and was often what marked the end of a process of, of creating a covenant agreement. So with that in mind, just get your head around how extraordinary this is. Yahweh, the Lord, invites us to his table. He's prepared it for us. He anoints our head with oil. That's what customarily you would, you would do to whoever was the honoured guest at a banquet or a feast or or. or party that you, you have on your, the, the honoured guest would be anointed with oil. The thing you gets anointed here. The Lord, Yahweh, anoints us. It's extraordinary, isn't it? This picture of just lavish blessing. Our, our cup overflows. And notice that it's even in the presence of our enemies. Not the enemies are taken away. Even in the presence of our enemies, the Lord blesses and brings joy and confidence. And verse 6 shows this is not, we're not just some acquaintance invited for the day and then off. Verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible statement at the end of, of this psalm. To dwell in the presence of, of God forever. Surely your goodness and love, your, your mercy, your, your dependable kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, will follow me all my days. Forever. Because the Lord is my shepherd, David has confidence in his dependable kindness and, and the final victory that awaits him. As we draw to a close, I want to read um, what happens when we take God out of the picture. The writer David um, Pallinson wrote an anti-Psalm 23. An anti-Psalm. And it's, and it's helpful. It just so vividly shows what happens when we take our good shepherd, the Lord, out of the picture. Listen to David Pallinson's anti-Psalm 23. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always, I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. 
but life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death. And then I die. It's a huge contrast to the real psalm, isn't it? The real thing. You can see the emptiness and, and bitterness there. So I wonder this morning, which one reflects us and our situation? Are there aspects of that anti-psalm creeping into our lives and our walk with the Lord? Well, we need to come back and see afresh how wonderful our shepherd is. Because the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, I fear no evil. I have comfort and hope even in death. Because the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, I can be confident of the victory and blessings of knowing his dependable kindness forever. I wonder what's stopping you from letting him be your shepherd. Let's pray. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against them, those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither, um, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. But in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay.
fantastic thing, Tim. What a great psalm. What a great God we have. And we're going to head outside now and um, sing uh, Psalm 23, except for music, um, Lord my shepherd. So uh, do make your way outside and let's praise God. 